It's finally December, which means the busyness of the holiday season is upon us. From kids' Christmas performances, to holiday travel, to last-minute gift shopping, even the good things about this time of year can sometimes lead us to forget what we're actually supposed to be celebrating. My guest today is Johnny Gibson, and in our conversation, we discuss what it looks like to truly prepare our hearts for Christmas. He argues that the Advent season is meant to be a season of waiting, waiting not just for Christmas, the first coming of Christ, but for the second coming of Christ as well. Whether it's Christmas hymns, meditating on the Christmas story in scripture, or decorating our Christmas trees, all of this should direct our gaze at our Savior, who came to earth as a lowly baby and is coming again as our Lord and King. Johnny Gibson is an ordained minister in the International Presbyterian Church and associate professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary. He's also the author of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, a liturgy for daily worship from Advent to Epiphany from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for joining me again on the Crossway podcast. It's good to be with you, Matt. Yeah, it's good to be together. Uh, So as parents, and even just as individual Christians, I think, uh, we all know the challenge that we can feel when it comes to keeping Christ at the center of our hearts during the holiday season. Christmas can just bring with it so much busyness and and a rush when it comes to even our, our work, but even our vacation plans and travel plans and parties that we might be going to, all the shopping for getting presents for people. It can kind of lead to a lot of stress and busyness and hurriedness. And I think sometimes, at least in my experience, I wonder if this is true for you, um, we can kind of hope for the Christmas season to be this spiritually uplifting and encouraging time of year, but actually it can kind of have the opposite effect. I can feel a dullness and uh, and get out of the routines, the spiritual habits that I've been in, and that makes it really hard. So I, I wonder, to start us off, have you ever felt that way? Do you resonate with that sense? Yeah, very much. So, you know, life's busy, isn't it, anyway? Never mind in, a, in an even busier season like Christmas. I would, you know, speak to my own experience here as a seminary professor here in America. Christmas, uh, December is marking season, mm. you know, grades. essays are in, grading. grades for the, the U.S. audience. Yeah, sorry, sorry, <laughs> I still haven't got the right terminology. Yeah, so, you know, grading, um, exams, papers, and so all I'm thinking of doing is I just need to get through this mm. to get to Christmas. I, I can't wait till Christmas Eve. I'll enjoy, you know, some mulled wine and some nice food and get into the Christmas spirit. But it's really sad because I spend most of December just trying to get through it in order to get to Christmas. And then with the kids, it's finishing school, finishing projects. Uh, It's getting all the presents ready. It's getting the tree. It's doing all these things that we want to enjoy around Christmas. Mm. But it has sort of intruded in on Advent season. And so, you know, that's what I've been trying to reflect on a bit more is how can I better prepare in Advent Mm for Christmas because Christmas sort of arrives without much preparation. Sometimes it sneaks up on us. We can kind of just feel like, oh, wow, next week is Christmas. And we kind of didn't even know. We didn't notice because of all the the things that we had to do, all the things we were checking off of our to-do list. And that that actually connects to something that you you emphasize in this new book that you've written, but others have emphasized this too, that Christmas is really a season of waiting. Advent is meant to be this season of waiting and that even the idea of waiting is a pretty foundational biblical concept for Christians. I wonder if you could unpack that for us. Why is 
waiting, expectation, longing? Why is that such an important thing for us not to miss as we think about the Christmas season? Yeah, so Advent speaks about the coming of Christ, actually focused on the second coming of Christ uh, while we reflect on his first coming. And the Christian scriptures give us Old and New Testament, a picture of God's people being a waiting people, or we are waiting for Jesus to arrive in the Old Testament. Mm. And through the Old Testament, key people, patriarchs, patriarchs and matriarchs are all waiting. They're waiting for a son to be born, or they're waiting uh, for some season in their life for things to turn better, like Joseph in slavery in Egypt. Mm. Uh, God's people throughout the Old Testament have the posture of waiting, of anticipation of something better is coming. And then when Jesus does arrive, we see this stated most clearly with Simeon and Anna. They talk about that they had been waiting for the salvation of God. Mm. And now it has dawned in this baby child, Jesus. And um, But it continues for New Testament believers. It's not like the waiting is over. Yes, Christ arrives in his first advent, um, and he inaugurates the kingdom of God. He secures redemption for us. And yet God's people are still called to be a waiting people. Uh, Paul says we are waiting for God's son to be revealed from heaven. And so we're waiting for the second advent, for the parousia. And um, so the orientation of God's people, Old and New Testament, is shaped by Christ's advent, his first advent for the Old Testament believers, and his second advent for the New Testament believers. Mm. And yeah, I th- we, we struggle with that in our culture today because everything's instant. Instant coffee, texts come in and they expect a reply instantly. You get annoyed. You, even when you see the little dots flashing on your phone, you're like, come on, come <laughs> on. What, what? Yeah, yeah. And then you see it disappear and someone starts again. You're like, all right, come on. What are you going to say? And We're just so oriented towards quick. Yeah, everything has to be instant. We don't know what it is to wait. And Advent, it's actually known in traditional Anglican circles as little Lent. Mm. So Lent before Easter is the big Lent. And this is known as Little Lent. And so some church traditions actually fast during Advent, waiting to then celebrate Christmas with a big meal. But they sort of enter a period of uh, not enjoying certain foods or drinks for that short period of four weeks before Christmas. And again, that's that's one way of trying to discipline yourself for waiting. You know, you're waiting for something. Fasting is one form of trying to wait better. And I think sometimes we can think of waiting as like the absence of the thing we're waiting for, but and that can be the focus of the waiting. Whereas actually, in some ways, this intentional waiting period, this cultivation of this is, it's all about anticipating the thing that is to come, that we're mm. going to receive. And something you said a few minutes ago about uh, the, the first and second Advents, I think oftentimes, at least for me, I think of the Advent season as really just focused on remembering the waiting that Israel did for Jesus to come as a baby. But you, you said that maybe it's actually more connected to Christ's second advent in many ways, that that's the ultimate hope of the Advent season. Unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, so in the tradition of the Christian church, the season of Advent has been primarily about focusing on his second coming. Mm. Now, I think the reason it's tied to the Christmas season is because his second coming is connected to his first coming. 
So the way I like to talk about it is it's it's a season of meditating on his second coming while we muse upon his first coming. Uh, we're waiting for his glorious appearing and we do that by reflecting on his humble first appearing. Mm. Um, he's going to come in glory with the angels to judge the living and the dead. But he came quietly into the dark streets of Bethlehem silently was he born uh, without anybody recognizing him or seeing him. And so there's this beautiful contrast between his first coming and his second coming. In the first one, he's clothed in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. In the second, he will be clothed in glory and light sitting on a throne, mm. you know. So, yeah, that, that's been the tradition in the Christian church. And I think we've lost that. Um, we've lost, again, the anticipation and the expectation that Jesus is coming again. And I think, again, because our culture shapes us to be very this-worldly focused. Mm -hmm. Everything is just about the instant and in this moment. And we don't really lift up our eyes to think, no, we have a glorious future when Jesus returns. Yeah. And it's good to have a time in the year where you have a concentrated focus on that. And so that's really what Advent's about. And putting this book together, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, I started to realize, because I've put in, in the place of adoration in the liturgy, I've put in instead of a prayer, like it was in Be Thou My Vision, I've put in an Advent hymn, and then a Christmas carols, and then round Epiphany hymns. But what struck me was that Advent hymns are actually really about the second coming of Christ. <laughs> so come thou long expected Jesus, mm. born to set thy people free. It's actually a hymn about the second coming. Because he's already been born. Yeah. Yeah. And O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, if you read it carefully, yes, it sort of echoes the first coming, mm. but it's also really also about the second coming. Mm. It's, it's asking him to come again. Yeah. Having already been named Emmanuel in his incarnation, come again and rescue captive yeah. Israel. And isn't Joy to the World the, the ultimate Christmas carol? Wasn't that also about the second coming? Yes, it is. Yeah. 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 It's such a, uh, an important connection that we, we do so often miss in our thinking. And I think it could give us so much more significance to the season uh, for us. It's not just looking back. Maybe the get, kind of gets to then a big question here that I want to explore with you is just how, as parents in particular, thinking about our families, how do we cultivate this way of thinking about the Christmas season, the Advent season? Because I think so often for all the reasons we've discussed, it can be especially hard for parents who have young kids uh, where there is just even more going on perhaps in their lives and there's, uh, they're trying to help children to not be so distracted by these other things that distract us as adults as well. And that's where I think some of the traditions that we often uh, have around Christmas time can come into play. As I was reflecting on, on this, I kind of realized that you know, some families are really big into traditions. They have a lot of traditions, but other families maybe don't have as many. But it seems like at Christmas time, there's, it's kind of a more universal experience to have certain traditions that we will, will do as families together. Uh, what's behind that? Speak a little bit to the value or the role that traditions can play in how we think about injecting significance and meaning into the Christmas season. Well, I would go back to Genesis chapter 1, actually, and the creation of the sun and the moon, which it says was given for to mark days and times, years and seasons. And so God has stitched into his created order a cycle of time that would actually complement and give shape to 
marking seasons. Mm. You see it in the Old Testament, they have different feasts for different seasons. And uh, I think we've lost that in the New Testament or in the sense of the New Testament also doesn't necessarily abandon that. Paul, it says, stayed longer so that he could be present in a certain place for Pentecost. I think as Protestants, that's maybe where I see us often kind of getting suspicious of some of those things, Uh, these seasonal church calendar type events. We can kind of wonder, is this helpful or is this in some way Roman Catholic? Yeah, and you know, the Catholic Church does mark the seasons, but the Anglican Church, a Protestant denomination, does. And in my research for the book, I realized that actually most of the Reformed continental um, theologians did as well. Mm. So Zwingli and Bullinger in Zurich, um, uh, Zacharias Ursinus in Germany in the Palatinate Church, the Dutch Reformed Church in when they met for the Synod of Dort codified in Articles 63 and 67 in their church book of order codified the keeping of Christmas, circumcision of Christ, which is New Year's Day, Epiphany, Good Friday, Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost. Mm. It was it was actually something they had to do as a church. So there's a robust Protestant uh, history of valuing some of these yeah. uh, traditional days and celebrations. Yeah. And Calvin in Geneva, he took a bit of a more moderate course, but he still on one occasion stopped his Lectio Continua preaching and preached for three months on the nativity of Christ around Christmas. I think it's part of our tradition if we look back and we've maybe lost a bit of that. But to connect it to family traditions, so the point is I think it's good to have traditions. I think God shaped the order of time so that we would have seasons for things. Mm. So I think it's good to observe and mark the season of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany. And what can we do practically to help with that well i think it's you know it's like the puritans say if you don't if you don't plan to pray you won't pray mm-hmm. and i think if you don't plan to observe christmas you won't really observe it and so you do have to plan something mm-hmm. and so that means getting ready soon after thanksgiving for <laughs> christmas so yeah. you know this year probably for the first time partly because of this book you know after thanksgiving i'm going to be saying to jackie right we need to get the tree up Advent's starting on the 20th of November this year, you know, we, let's get the tree up on that day. Yeah. So putting the tree up at a certain time helps you get into the mood, get the Christmas wreath on the door, get the lights on the house. So even simple, something like decorations can be a way exactly, to... Exactly, to start early on that. Yeah. And then that gets the children and the family in the mood for it. We, in our family, have a little thing called the Jesse tree. It's a sh- short little plastic Christmas tree so it can fit in a box. And our uh, sister-in-law, David's wife, Angela, before we left to come to America, she made um, all little ornaments for the tree that mm. connect to all the key events in the Old Testament for the coming of Christ. Yeah. So there's the little worlds. It's like plasticine uh, balls, uh, plasticine that's been cooked to harden it. So yeah. we have a little world, then we have a snake eating an apple, and then you have a a ram on an altar as Isaac and and a throne for David and the Ten Commandments for Moses. And so it's, and there's a reading each day and a little prayer that mm. goes with it. And so that's what we do. We pull out the Jesse tree, it's called. So from the seed of Jesse yeah. comes this son of David. 
and we call it the Jesse tree and the kids love it so they're all like are we getting the Jesse tree out this year mm. you know and, mm. and half the ornaments are now broken in half and, <laughs> but that's fine because I think Lord willing they'll just remember as they look back you remember we used to do the Jesse tree yeah. around Christmas time so that's one thing we do and so it's a, it's just after um, our evening meal that's when we normally do family worship so that's our family worship in Advent and it's just short it's five minutes we all talk about what does this symbol on the tree mean? What does it speak of? Yeah. And uh, it's one way to really get the kids starting to think that Christmas is all about Christ. Mm. And our culture, you know, I took my son uh, last year to uh, Home Depot to go and get some lights. We needed some extra lights for the house for That's Christmas. That's a good dad-son project. Yeah, it was great. And we're walking past, there's these reindeer. And we've, we've got the light reindeers on our lawn we put out each year. But there are these big Santa Clauses. And I turned a bit and I said, look at that. And he says, yeah, Dad, how pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I took a moment to be quite proud. <laughs> but I thought, oh, okay, I've done something right. Something and, right. He, you know, and I thought, it's not that we've told him Santa's evil and, you know, don't ever have anything to do with it. Yeah. We read the stories about Father Christmas coming down the chimney yeah. to the kids as just a silly story. But that's the point. It's a silly story. It's, mm-hmm. it's, we have never focused on that as what Christmas is about. There's no prayer. Present from Santa under our tree. It's just presents from family. And why are they giving presents to you, kids? Because God gave his greatest gift to us, yeah, his son. And so that's what we've tried to do. We've just, from the get-go when we had kids, said, let's just make Christmas all about Christ. Mm. And the, they'll see what's going on with Father Christmas and Santa and sort of think, that's really sad that you don't really enjoy christmas as much as we do because mm-hmm. we've really understood what this is about yeah it's not about taking something away it's about focusing on something far more meaningful and, and significant yeah. for them i'm just struck by how it does require intentionality it does require some planning but it's also not rocket science and there's there's even tools and resources out there like the jesse tree that that make it relatively easy to to just uh, keep drawing their attention back to Christ during the season. That leads to another question. You've already mentioned hymns and the, the, the wonderful tradition of Christian hymns that we have that we often sing around the Advent season. And it kind of get the first most important question that I want you to weigh in on is, when is it appropriate to start listening to Christmas music? <laughs> you know, when's it legit? I mean, I think after Thanksgiving here, we, we've really enjoyed Thanksgiving as a ex, uh, as a, exile this, this is not not in a not a british not uh, a not a british thing but as exiles living here we we've really embraced it and we think it's a lovely tradition because there's also not a lot of fuss about it it's really yeah. about the meal and family but soon after that's when we start getting the christmas music on mm. and, and this year in particular as i said because i've got this liturgy that begins on the 28th of november or november 28th as yeah. you would say it's uh we're going to be you know wanting to get it get the music going early and, yeah you know so yeah i i think around that time is a good time to start playing those songs in the house singing them with the kids and christmas hymns carols and the advent hymns that you'll see in this liturgy i mean some of them in i often say to jackie after we've been at a carol service i love christmas is my favorite time of the year but it's also my favorite time of the year to be worshiping in church because mm. I actually think some of the richest theological reflection is conveyed in Christmas carols. Mm. You so know, true. Um, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more shall die. 
uh, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, heal the incarnate deity. We, we sing the words so often, so quickly, but there's such richness yeah. in the truths expressed You there. know, Paul in 1 Timothy 3 calls it the mystery of godliness. And the first line as he outlines the key points of the gospel is God manifested in the flesh. Mm. It's a mystery. And I think singing the hymns and the carols uh, really helps us meditate and muse on that mystery Mm. that God became flesh. There's some great quotes in this liturgy that I've got from church history Um, Let me just read this one by Augustine because it's so good. Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Mm. And I I think our hymns capture some of that great profound mystery that the eternal God in the person of his son became one of us and was lying in a feeding trough crying. Mm. You know, it's amazing. And it's hard not to, as you reflect on those things through hymns like that, through quotes from history, it's hard not to then just feel your affections drawn towards Christ. It's hard not to see him as this is what it's all about. This is what is so exciting about this season and, and help our kids uh, do that as well. Um, in this resource you've created, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it is, it's such a wonderful tool incorporating hymns from history, quotes from history, liturgical elements. Uh, and it's just, it's one more of those examples of something that, that parents can use on their own, but also could adapt and take parts of to use with their families as we walk through the season together. Yeah, and as you'll see from the liturgy, it it would be a long evening worship. <laughs> <laughs> if you expect, did all of it. To expect a three or four-year-old to endure through. But w- this year, well, well, we already, as part of our e- evening worship, we sing the Gloria Patri mm-hmm. or the doxology each night. And we say the Lord's Prayer, you know, every other night. And we recite a creed every few days. So, you know, we'll we'll probably do that in a bit more of a concentrated way this Christmas. But, yeah, we don't use all the elements in this for our children. And that's what I like about both this and Be Thou My Vision, the, the first book you did. was It's not prescriptive in the sense mm-hmm. of you need to use everything here. It's probably more robust than what most people would do on mm-hmm. a regular basis. But it's giving you elements to pick from very easily. And it's less about exactly what you choose and more about just getting us into these habits, these routines, Mm -hmm. establishing these traditions, connecting us to the Christian tradition uh, as we worship God. Yeah, I think what I'll be doing is I'll be using it, and Jackie as well, in the mornings, and then in the evenings we'll be picking elements out of it for the children, Mm -hmm. you know, and thinking, let's do these three parts of the liturgy of them. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Johnny, thanks so much for uh, spending some time giving us all some ideas for how to make Christmas a little bit more meaningful and intentional this year with our families. Thanks for having me on the podcast and uh, a very Merry Christmas to you. Mm, Merry Christmas. That was Johnny Gibson on preparing our hearts for Christmas. For more, be sure to check out his new book, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel a liturgy for daily worship from Advent to Epiphany. 
Pick up a print copy of the book for 30% off, or get the ebook or audiobook for 50% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. For more audio content like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a review. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.